Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. On today's episode of Where Are They Now, we bring you a daily double. From our special 1991 Club podcast, we bring you two conversations I had last season with Tamu Solani, one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the NHL and author of a book titled My Life. We'll also talk to Marcus Ragnarsson, one of the great defensemen in Sharks history who continues to influence a generation of young defensemen in the Swedish Elite League. Let's find out where they are now. Today, we speak to one of the greatest players to ever wear a shark sweater, Hockey Hall of Famer Tamu Solani, who's the author of a brand new book published by Triumph Books called Tamu Solani, My Life. Tamu was one of only two Sharks players to score 1,400 points in his career, and he's the only one to date who has scored more than 600 goals. He holds the distinction of being the all-time leading scorer against San Jose with 51 goals, 48 assists, and an incredible 99 points. Because of that fact, it makes perfect sense to note that it all started for Tamu on October the 8th, 1992, when he scored his very first career goal against the Sharks, of course, at the Cow Palace in Daly City. Right here, 1-1 the score. Sharks on the attack in the offensive zone. They're killing a penalty with a minute and 19 seconds to go in the bench minor for too many men on the ice. And Sullivan's pass is intercepted. Now Winnipeg on the move to center. Jean Muff gets around Sullivan, walks into the slot. Backhand shot right on. Save is made by Hackett. Rebound to the near boards in the San Jose zone. Jean Muff right on it. Gets it back to Housley. Near board feed now to Kachuk. Back for Housley on the point. Taps to the near side. Solani. Back to the right point to Housley. Back to Solani. Top of the circle. Winds up. Shoots one. And he scores! A screenshot by Timu Solani on the exchange pass from Phil Housley gives Winnipeg a power play goal and a 2-1 lead. That was Solani's first of an incredible 76 goals that he scored for the Winnipeg Jets when he won the Calder Memorial Trophy as Rookie of the Year in the NHL. Timu reflected on that smashing NHL debut. It was something that you know I wasn't expecting. You know, like like it's, like we're talking about like when you come over from Europe and you come to the North America, you never know how long it takes to get used to different things. So uh, I just wanted to you know find my place in the team and, and and I knew I can play well if I get the good chance and I got right away the best players to play with the first power play and everything. So the table was ready for me and you know obviously the, I was so hungry and. It was, I always tell that it's like snowball going down a hill, you know. It, I just got more confidence and more confidence. Solani was 22 years old when he finally arrived in North America full-time in 1992, four years after being drafted 10th overall by the Winnipeg Jets in 1988. He had been to an NHL training camp as a teenager, but he realized pretty quickly that it would take some time to get up to speed with the National Hockey League. I don't know if I came, I came over for training camp when I was 18, and I was not sure if I would be ready to stay that time. I think the guys these days are so much more ready right away. It's a different culture. There's so many moving parts where you have to find out where you live and, and how to find the car and, and how, how you open the mail and yeah, and, and the garbage and, and electricity and 
like those are just some after ice things what you have to do a lot but then obviously on the ice like you said it's a smaller range faster game more physical a lot of traveling i think the traveling was that was actually surprised for me how hard it was like uh, and how many games we play every week and uh, it's a bit more grinding you know and i don't think uh, many players can say that they feel great the whole season when they start you know like you always a little bit hurt or a little bit um, tired or whatever you know it's a it's a it's a grinding Part of being a pro hockey player is dealing with the unexpected, including being traded. That happened to Tamu for the first time in the 95-96 season when he was moved to Anaheim in a blockbuster deal. For Tamu, it gave him renewed respect for his wife Sirpa and the great importance of his family. Growing up in Finland, you know, we don't have a trade. Coming over here and realize it's all business, you know, and then how brutal it can be when you just get the phone call and you next day you're gone. Your family stays, and and then you try to organize them to come come later, where you, wherever you go, and find the schools and the homes and everything. I don't think a lot of people have an idea of how hard it is, you know. And, and not only like like what happens, but mentally, you know, like it's just like a, especially the first trade. It's a sad, a sad feeling, you know. You almost feel that you failed, and, you, and they didn't want you, and uh, and yeah, and you have to leave because of that. But. Uh, then when you realize it's a, it's a, it's a business and, and, and we, are, we are just, you know, part of that, so then it's easier, but it's never easy. It's, it's, it's a tough world. In Anaheim, Solani became a big nemesis to Sharks fans. It seemed that every time the Sharks and the Ducks played, Tamu would score a goal, and it would usually be a big goal. According to him, that came largely from great chemistry that he developed with fellow Hall of Famer Paul Correa. Yeah, that was so special. Obviously, as, as tough, tough as it was at the time when I got traded, I knew that, you know, I'm going to have a chance to play with Paul. And not so often you find, the, you know, two players that have that kind of chemistry. And we were thinking about the game same way. We both, both were fast and we had the same elements, the same key things in our game. So playing, playing with him, it was very, very easy. Tamu became a Shark on March 5, 2001, when then-general manager Dean Lombardi sent left-winger Jeff Friesen, goaltender Steve Shields, and a second-round selection in the 2003 draft right to Anaheim to gain his services. Tamu immediately ingratiated himself with Sharks territory, and he became part of a great team that he felt was more than capable of winning the Stanley Cup. You know what? It was great three years. You know, I... I really enjoyed the, the city, the team, the organization was fantastic, you know, and when I look back, you know, we had a great team, and I'm so that we didn't win, you know, I think, uh, especially one year when we lost to Colorado uh, in Game 7, you know, I thought we would have a chance to challenge any team in the league, and, and that was a, a very disappointing thing, but looking, looking back at that, those three years, it was just so... We were so happy as a family and as a, as a player, you know. We had a, a lot of same age guys and a lot of, uh, I would not say we were partying a lot, but a lot, we had a lot of fun together. Like we we get together off days with other families and, and had dinners and stuff. And it was a really tight, good team. And I miss those days. You know, those guys were unbelievable. So uh, I have nothing but great memories from that uh, San Jose years. Tamu was just talking about the round two playoff series in 2002 against the Colorado Avalanche. In game seven of that series, the score was nothing-nothing, 
when Tamu rounded the back of the Colorado net and had Hall of Fame goaltender Patrick Waugh out of position. Sharks win the draw. Shot from the point. Goes toward the net on the deflection. And down goes Waugh. Wraparound attempt by Solani with the open net. And he put it right into Patrick Waugh on the right side of the goal. And Waugh gets a break, maybe, of the series. It was a rut in the ice that Solani's skate made contact with. And that was just enough to really alter the complexion of the game and the series. Peter Forsberg scored the only goal of that contest, giving Colorado a 1-0 Game 7 win. Tamu still feels the disappointment of not going on to greater glory. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was waiting 15 years to, to go to finals. And, and, you know, you just appreciate every time. And I always remember that Game 7 when I have the wraparound empty net and I hit the back post. And uh, it was 0-0 at the time, so it was just like... It was disappointing, you know. We thought we were going to have a, all the tools uh, to win that year. But, you know, it's it's a game of inches, you know, and sometimes you don't get those breaks. During that season, Tamu had some of his fondest NHL memories with a lot of great Sharks teammates. Yeah, you know, like you said, like, we have so much depth, you know. Uh, and a lot of times, our third line was uh, Richie and Thornton and, and Sandstrom. And I, a, lot of, a lot of nice, they were our best line. So we felt that we're going to have uh, all the tools to go all the way and win the Stanley Cup and prove how hard it is to win, you know, and you have to be right place, right time, and, and get lucky too, you know. I always remember when we won 2007, that couple of breaking points, that you, how lucky we were, and that's what you need, you know. You need a, a breaks here and there, you know, even you have a great team. So I, I don't think we got that in the, in the uh, Sox years. I hope you guys are going to win one day because you guys really deserve that. And you were so close. Of course, Tamu made a lot of hockey magic with current shark Patrick Marlowe. First of all, Patty is a great guy and a good friend of mine. And, you know, his commitment to hockey and how he looks after himself and his basketball game is very, very unique. And I'm very uh, lucky and thankful that I was able to play three years with Patty and um, just a great man. And it's, uh, when, it, when there's enough passion and, uh, and hard work and you do the right things, you can play all the time. So. That's a perfect example that uh, had his career, you know, and I'm happy to see him back in San Jose. Solani finally made it to hockey's mountaintop in 2007 when he won the Stanley Cup after returning to Anaheim to play for the Ducks. It's a memory that he'll cherish forever. There's nothing like it, you know, and like I said, like especially when you have to wait something for a long time to even get the chance. That's why it was so big, and I thought, I tried to re- retire many times before that, and now when I got the trophy over my head, I said, you know what, now I'm done. This is the crown for my career. And and, and you, you can't really describe that feeling. It was so, so special. And I thought I was done. Uh, but then, you know, little by little, the passion stopped bringing me back. And then I played another seven years. And I was happy I played because I, I, I still really enjoyed the game and, and had so much fun. Now. But uh, there's nothing like winning, winning the Stanley Cup. It's just so special. In April of 2007, the Sharks against the Anaheim Ducks, both teams fighting for first place in the Pacific Division, and playoff positioning was on the line. Just a couple of weeks before, Sharks head coach Ron Wilson celebrated his 1,000th game behind the bench in the NHL, and he received a lot of congratulatory messages and gifts from some of his players. Well, Tamu decided to send an autographed stick because he knew that Ron liked hockey memorabilia. And he inscribed the stick by writing, To my favorite coach, Tamu Solani. Well, Wilson looked at the stick and had a suspicion that it was illegal, and he measured it. 
Not a couple of weeks later, on April the 4th, it was the Sharks and the Ducks at the Honda Center. It was an epic battle, a tie game going into the final minute of play. At that moment, Craig Rive of the Sharks took a two-minute penalty for hooking, and it became apparent that the Sharks would be down a man to start overtime. Remembering the gift that he had received a couple of weeks earlier, Coach Wilson decided to go for it, and he had Tamu's stick measured. Anaheim is 9-12 and 12 in overtime and in the shootouts this year. The Sharks are 2-4. and four. Something's going on. San Jose, I see a referee with a stick in his hand. That means he's measuring a stick. I see Timo Solani without a stick. And I'm wondering if Ron Wilson... Oh, this is something if this happens. This is great. Right before the... Ron Wilson is measuring a stick right now. They're taking a stick measurement. Tamu Solani, he knows him well. He coached him for many years in Anaheim. And now they're going to measure the stick. And don't think this isn't a head game going into the playoffs. If he uses legal sticks, if his sticks are... If his curve is illegal, you talk... But he's going to have to change the curve going into a playoff series. Guess what? Solani has been called for an illegal stick. It's going to be three on three. That's a gutsy call. I like it. Is that that is not only is that a gutsy call, that's sending a message heading into the playoffs. Wow. Three on three. That is a dramatic moment. I've never seen that happen. It's three on three. There's lots of ice. We could have a three-on-three three goal in overtime. This I is w- great. I wish we saw more three-on-three. Three. This is. There's I remember watching this as a kid. It's kind of funny to note that in today's NHL, three-on-three three hockey is commonplace in regular season overtime. But that's not the way it was back in those days. And so we had a treat and maybe a look into the future because of a Solani stick penalty. The result that night was a shark shootout victory. Andy McDonald has to tie this. He must do this. He must score or the Sharks win. Here comes McDonald moving in from center. He's across the line. He moves to his left, and he loses the puck. He doesn't get a shot. He slaps it against the boards in frustration, and the Sharks win 3-2 to two in the shootout in their final road game of the season. What a finish. The Sharks, for the first time in history, the Sharks have won 50 games in a regular season. They have 104 points. And they beat the Ducks in their final meeting with lots of drama here at the Honda Center. Looking back on that incident all these years later, Solani laughed about it. Oh, God, you know, that was so funny because, like, like I said, like a couple, a couple days before, I signed the speak for him to run my favorite coach. Congrats for 1,000 games. And then I signed it. And, you know, that. <laughs> a couple days later, you know, he, he measured my stick and I got the penalty. And you guys scored it. It was kind of funny, but we were both like battling who's going to get a little better seed in the playoffs. So I think those points were really important for both of, uh, both of us. So I think that sometimes you're willing to do whatever it takes, and that was one of those moments. Timu knew it couldn't come from anywhere else. Because Ron Wilson asked to measure the width of the stick, not the curve. Obviously, it was a little bit too, too like a high, high stick. So uh, I, a lot of players knew that it's, uh, it's a little bit, a little bit too, too high. But uh, you know, it's luckily it didn't really cost too much for our seed in the playoffs. But um, you know, funny things like that happens. You know, what an amazing career. Tamu Solani played until he was 43 years old. You can read all about Tamu's journey through hockey in his new book from Triumph Books, Tamu Solani, My Life, available wherever books are sold. How about a synopsis, Tamu? It's about my life and, and, and hockey 
a lot of uh, stories. How do I get to the sports and, and NHL and and you know some struggles with our families and stuff. And and I, I really try to be very honest about everything what has happened and how I felt about the whole journey. So uh, uh, I think the feedback. I don't know if the, my buddies are just telling me this, but that they, re, they really have enjoyed that the book. So hopefully they have been honest. You know, so but uh, I hope people like it. You know, it's a uh, it's a it was great uh, great process to to do it, and uh, I'm very happy it came out. Special thanks to Tamu Solani, a great goal scorer, a Stanley Cup champion, a Hockey Hall of Famer, and a fantastic Sharks alumnus. If you like what you're hearing, perhaps you'd like to be a member of the 1991 Club. Go to 1991club.com to find out how you can get exclusive content like you're hearing today. And now part two of Where Are They Now? Today, we speak to Marcus Ragnarsson, one of the bedrocks of the team's defense during one of the critical points in franchise history. Born in Ostervalla, Sweden, a small city about an hour and a half north of Stockholm, Ragnarsson was drafted by the Sharks 99th overall in the fifth round of the 1992 NHL entry draft. But he didn't make his way to North America until he was 24 years old, after playing parts of six seasons with Djurgården, one of the storied teams in Swedish hockey history. He says that it was those years that prepared him to play against the best players in the world. Well, uh, like you said, uh, that, that's where my like professional career started. One, you know, when I was 18, I, I started playing with Djurgården, and then uh, when I, I finished my career there, when I was 39. So uh, I think, um, looking back, uh, the, the, the times I spent there, especially when I was young, Djurgården was a, the best team in Sweden and uh, they had some good uh, um, really really good players so that kind of shaped me and the way I acted after that is I have to thank Jurgården and all those players who, who were there when I when I came up so uh, yeah, in what, I learned how to compete and how to be on the ice and um, yeah they, they had a good time there Marcus made an impression on everyone from the very first day of the 1995 Sharks training camp. He scored a goal in his very first game against the Chicago Blackhawks on opening night, and that started many seasons of great memories, even though there weren't any trips to the playoffs in his first two years. But that would change soon enough, and he still feels the love from the fan base when he visits the Bay Area. Well, like you said, I scored a goal in my first game, and obviously that was uh, a big... uh a big thing, and uh, there's something I'm going to remember f- forever. Uh, then we had a tough year in uh, my first year. I think we only won like 20 games that season, so uh, it was tough that way, but for me, uh, as, a, as a rookie in the league, uh, I think uh, I mean every game was um, was an opportunity for me to, to learn uh, about the game, and going into a new city uh, on the away games was, was great too. So even if the team didn't play good uh, the first year, I, I think I had a lot of fun my first year. Uh, and then uh, I think it was my, my first two years we missed the playoffs, but then uh, I think we had five straight years to when I played before I got traded that we, we made it to the to the playoffs. So uh, in what, I think we started some kind of, uh, what can you say, like we were, pre- we were pretty good there for a while, you know, we, but we didn't make it, uh, like we make it, make, it, make it to the second uh, round, I think, a couple of times, but then we, we couldn't go all the way. I think we had a good chance there when uh, we lost against Colorado 
uh, in the second round one year. But uh, yeah. other than that, uh, looking back, uh, I had a great time. And every time I come back to, to San Jose, it feels like home. I just have uh, good memories from, from, from that time in my life. What was the biggest adjustment to playing in North America back then? Yeah, obviously the biggest difference, I think, was the ice uh, surface. I mean, it's much smaller in North America, and uh, that uh, took some time time to to adjust. But I think um, playing uh, defense, it, it, it's uh, easier a lot of times because it, it's uh, smaller. It, you don't have to go out in, in, in the big corners like it in in Europe. Yeah, I'm fairly fast and in short. Um, uh, short area, so I, I, I kind of covered that uh, area pretty good. And then w- with the puck, it, you have to make so much faster decisions with the puck. And that took some time too, but uh, I, I saw the ice pretty good, you know, and I, I, I had good support from, from the rest of the team too. So, uh, yeah. But uh, it took me like a uh, couple of months to get the uh, comfortable on the ice. By the time that he got to his third year in the NHL, Rags was part of the Sharks' top defensive pair, along with Mike Rathje. Every time the top forwards on the opposing side were on the ice, it was Ragnarsson and Rathje maintaining the defensive zone. Looking back, Marcus reflected on how well the two worked together. Sometimes when you get that uh, mission as, as, as a deep pairing, too, to be out there against other teams' uh, top lines, uh, you, you got to be on your toes like uh, every game, every shift, because as soon as you're, you lose your concentration, then you're going to get scored on. Uh, and I think uh, me and Mike, we find a, a chemistry uh, both uh, both on and off the ice. Uh, like I said, I, I knew where he was, was going, so I could I'm pretty much uh, throw a, a pass behind my back because I knew Mike uh, was going to be there. So we talked a lot in practice uh, how we could... Uh, make each other better players so uh, we had good chemistry so uh, it was also fun there for a couple of years when we had a, had a good uh, I played a solid game me and him Marcus's first trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs began under coach Daryl Sutter in a legendary series against the Dallas Stars it was a physical emotional series featuring villain Ed Belfour in goal for the Stars and it began with a big hit in game one by Sharks defenseman Brian Marchment that knocked one of Dallas's top players, Joe Neuendijk, out of the series. Ragnarsson saw it unfolding. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was, it was tough. You know, we took a lot of beating that series. There was no doubt that it was an adjustment moving from Sweden to the NHL. But Ragnarsson notes that the Stanley Cup playoffs were even more challenging. Well, I think everybody's, you know, they're stepping their game up uh, one or two levels. What's fun with playoffs is that you meet the same team. You got to you got to win four games, and uh, in the game one, if that if the other team comes up with two or three goals, you, you got to still stick with it and uh, keep on pounding at them because in the long run, that it's going to wear the other team down. And I think. It's a fun way uh, to play hockey, I think. Uh, just going head-to-head for, with one team, there's a best out of seven. So it's um, what you put in in games one, two, and three is going to pay off later on. So yeah, that's, that's a special time of the year. Marcus played in two series against Dallas and Colorado before he and his teammates took on the President's Trophy-winning St. Louis Blues in the spring of 2000. It was a series to remember. 
20 seconds to go in the period as Pronger at center shoots it in deep left side of Shields. Turgeon and Hester in there. Hesch got it up to the point. Pronger backhands it ahead. Intercepted by Nolan. And Nolan skates out from the red line. Shot. Star! Owen Nolan from center ice deflects it off of the body of Roman Turek. The Sharks lead it 2 to nothing with 10.2 seconds left in the second period. That is a gigantic goal for the Sharks in the waning moments of the first period of play. The puck just went up in the air and sort of dipped on Roman Turek, hit him in the body, and trickled in. And boy, what a deflator for the Blues side as things were really rocking here just seconds ago. But now things are mighty quiet as Owen Nolan just inside the red line wound up and just shot a blooper up in the air as he was headed off the ice for a line change. It went inside the glove hand off of the chest of Turek and right into the net. Buck is dropped. Sharks controlled it. Nolan clears it out. Nine seconds left in the third period. The San Jose Sharks look like they're going to do it. A shot at center right. Stopped by Shields off McInnes. Sharks clear it. They're going to win the series. For Marcus Ragnarsson, that series is a fantastic Sharks memory. Uh, well, obviously, well, that was a, a big upset. And uh, I don't think many uh, experts thought that we had a chance uh, against, uh, like you said, the Preston's team. Um, now we had, we had nothing to lose. All the, all the pressure were on St. Louis, and uh, you know, we, we played a tight game and um, took advantage of our chances. I remember after Game Seven there too, like it, it was like we, we had won the cup pretty much. Everybody was so so excited. The series proved to be another step in the building process that put the Sharks in a great position in the spring of 2002. Coach Daryl Sutter kept Ragnarsson and Rathje as the top shutdown defensive pair. But that season, perhaps the best third line in Sharks history was put together, with Mike Ricci at center, Scott Thornton on the left-wing side, and Nicholas Sundstrom on the right. Ragnarsson remembers that line as one of the most effective he's ever played with. Uh, well, I think, uh, first of all, Mike uh, is a great centerman. Uh, like, like a D to have him there, knowing he's going to be the defensive guy that you can trust. Uh, even good uh, for out the passes deep in, in our own end. Uh, good, good battle guy. He won his one on one. Then we had Scotty Thornton, who was uh, like the power forward on in, on that line. Uh, he, he could finish guys off and uh, stood up for the rest of us. And then uh, Sandstrom, probably one of the uh, most skilled uh, defensive forwards uh, in the league, and is always open for passes to make good decisions with the puck. So I think uh, those three uh, forward, they, they, yeah, they played really, really well together. In the 2002 playoffs, the Sharks dispatched the Coyotes in five games in the opening round, and they moved on to face the star-studded Colorado Avalanche in round two. Although they lost that series in seven games, including a heartbreaking one nothing decision in game seven, Ragnarsson truly felt that the team was the first edition of the Sharks that had a real chance to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think with the Sharks, it was. I think Timo Solana had a good chance to I think, to, to win it for us in, in Game 7 as well, or, or tie it up. Uh, those were hard-fought games. And, um, yeah, I think uh, for my years with the Sharks, I think that was the probably the best team we had, too. Let's not forget that Marcus scored his very first playoff goal in Game 6 of that series. This Ricci line again continues to do a great job. As now Brad Stewart has jumped into the play. He rides Blake off with a check. Sundstrom gets the pass. He's on the left wing. He curls to the circle. Rink-wide. Ragnarsson shoots. He scores! 
Marcus Ragnarsson first goal to the playoffs, and the Sharks are on the board. Ragnarsson was traded to the Philadelphia Flyers in the 2002-2003 NHL season, and he played in 27 more playoff games in a Flyers uniform before his NHL career ended in 2004. But he kept on playing for six more years in Sweden, including three with Almtuna, a team located in Uppsala, the closest larger city to his hometown. Uh, it's, it's the closest city to where I grew up. Uh, I'm going to say, when I grew up, that was the team you wanted to beat. You know, and uh, uh, they never played in the... I think the one year they played in the highest uh, division. Other than that, they've been in the second division. Following that, he spent three more years with his original Swedish elite league club, Djurgården, finally retiring at the age of 39 after shoulder injuries proved to be too much. Of course, that conjures up a memory of his arm getting locked in an upward position during a Sharks game due to a dislocation. But amazingly, it was popped back into position, and he came back out of the ice to play. <laughs> yeah, I think that was good. Uh, I think it was St. Louis we played, and uh, I came to the bench, and my arm was just, uh, it was stuck in an awkward position. And uh, Ray Tufts came out on the ice and just put it back in, and I think I took two Tylenols, and then I went back up playing again. Today, Marcus Ragnarsson is an assistant coach for the Swedish national team, and he's been scouting NHL clubs in preparation for the world championships. The head coach of the team is another former Shark great, Johan Garpenloff, someone who Marcus enjoys working with. Yeah, uh, I played with him in Djurgården there in, uh, I think it was uh, early 90s, and uh, obviously he... I just missed him in, in San Jose, and he played uh, before me. And uh, But we, we kept in contact over the years, and uh, he's a great guy, so it's all fun working with him. What a great visit, Marcus. Thanks a lot for spending time with us. Anytime, Dan, you want to call, just give me a call, and we can talk about old times. <laughs> we had two great members of the San Jose Sharks join us on today's episode. Marcus Ragnarsson, one of only six defensemen in Sharks history to play in 500 games or more in Teal. And Temu Solani, one of the greatest goal scorers, who had 64 tallies in a San Jose uniform and 15 which were game winners. Perhaps you'd like to get more great content like this by joining the Sharks 1991 club. And if you do, you'll get it first and you'll get it exclusively. The 1991 Club is the global fan club of the San Jose Sharks. For more information, go to sharks1991club.com and find out how you can be part of something special. We had that today. I'm Dan Rusinowski. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode of Where Are They Now?